Last month, my wife Heidi and I were chaperones, and we were privileged to be some of the chaperones for an AP Euro trip uh, from uh, Arizona Lutheran Academy. And my son Adam was part of the, the students that invited that went. I think about 17, 18 kids and maybe 12, 13 uh, adults. Uh, it was a, a, a privilege to do this, and we, we traveled there. We we're, were gone for, for 10 days. Um, years ago, about 12 years ago, one of the members here at Lamb of God, uh, Steve Bart, he was our property uh, director, and, and he had been in London many times, and, and he convinced the, the teachers, and one of the teachers at ALA, uh, Doug Meyer, that, you know, that AP Euro class, you really could actually see the places you're, you're learning about. And pretty reasonably, he had figured out, you know, cheaper places to stay. And really, for every third year, for 12 years, um, people from Arizona, from uh, Arizona Lutheran Academy, uh, went o- over there. Uh, what struck me, one of the things that struck me, and we went to London, uh, we went to Paris, and we went to Rome. And, and one of the things that struck me was the reality of death in Europe, more so than here. Um, it just seemed like the, you know, the reminders of death were, were all around. And I don't know if it's because uh, Europe was really the, the scene of two world wars, in the last hundred years. I don't know if it's just that uh, Europe has a, a longer history than we have here in the United States. I don't know if it was the uh, Imperial War Museum in London and the Holocaust exhibit, or if it was all the, the, the dead bodies that we, we saw, not directly, but um, in caskets and vaults in practically every church that we entered. Uh, we went to St. Peter's uh, Basilica in Rome. I went to St. Paul's Church in London. We went to Westminster Abbey in London, and then Notre Dame in France. And it was just strange to me. I've been a pastor for 23 years, and, and I'm sure older churches in the Midwest, you know, this happens. But, but there was everywhere. There were just hundreds of bodies buried around the church, so I kid you not, like if there would be a little wing like this in Europe, there would be at least five bodies buried here somewhere. And, and, and some of them were out in the open, meaning that there would be a, a gigantic vault and you know that there's some famous person uh, buried inside. There, there was one in, 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 in uh, Westminster Abbey that absolutely frightened me. Uh, I, I turned around, turned the corner, and, and, and there it was. And basically, coming out of this vault of a famous person buried inside was uh, carving, I'm sure, out of marble of the Grim Reaper. And, and, and here's, here's a picture of it. And you might see why I was frightened when I saw this. I turned the corner. There he was. Grotesque, and, and you see the, you know, the, the skeleton, and, and you can see the hip bones, and and you know the, the skull and the, um, his his clothing, and if you see the full scene, here it is. He is uh, pointing to who I assume are the survivors of the person that died. Right, they're depicted, and they're actually horrified. They're afraid of the grim reaper. And it's very clear what this means. 
It means that your loved one has died. But you know what? You're next. Death has the final say. And again, the reality of death, uh, we simply saw it all over the place. Now, in reality, there are a lot of dead people. I, I pointed this out our Ask Wednesday service. I, I said it again, the Good Friday service. And just one of those interesting facts that I, I found interesting, so I assume that you will as well. But uh, realize the dead outnumber the living. Uh, what I read was at least 13 to 1, if not up to 16 to 1. There are 7.3 billion people alive today more than ever before. We might assume, well, there's more alive than they've ever lived. Not true. Uh, more than likely, there are 100 billion plus people who are buried somewhere around this globe. Now, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, personifies death. And, and basically, the Bible says that, that from the time of Adam... Moving forward throughout history, death reigns. And it kind of matches that Grim Reaper thing, right? Death reigns. That the death is the undisputed, unchallenged, undefeated champion in this fallen world. Now, when I was a boy in the, in the 60s and, and 70s, it was the, the height of, of professional boxing. And my dad was a boxing fan, and we watched the fights of Muhammad Ali and that. And there was a title, a coveted title among boxers, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And because boxers were competing on a world stage, nobody could really be sure who's the best and who's the champion of the world. You know, was the American champion the champion of the world? And what... Uh, boxing associations finally agreed upon is this. To be the undisputed champion, that title can only be given to boxers who are recognized as champions by each boxing uh, organization. So what that means is that there were very few undisputed heavyweight champions in the world. Even fewer were undisputed, undefeated champions. Death personified, we might as well say that death is the heavyweight champion, undisputed, undefeated for the longest time. Now, if we go back to our text, there's a woman named Mary. And Mary thought of death in this way. Death had become a very difficult, frightening reality to Mary. You see, Mary had a very close relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. She had a past. She had sins, as we all do, things that she regretted. Yet she met Jesus. And, and, and Jesus confronted her in her sin because it was the right thing and the loving thing to do. But then Jesus forgave her, as only God can. He forgave her all of her sins. She became a Christ follower. She followed Jesus, and, and she was one of his greatest supporters in his ministry. But that came to a shattering halt on a Friday when, when Mary and, and other women got the news that Jesus, the Son of God, the person that they believed was the Messiah, he's been arrested. 
And not only that, has he been arrested, but he is in the process of being crucified. And it, it came like a ton of bricks upon their shoulders. And, and Mary Magdalene and, and these other Marys, they went to the place of Golgotha. And they experienced firsthand the execution of their friend, Jesus. And it was an execution. Horrible. You can imagine how, how Mary felt and the others. Death had also defeated their Lord, their Savior, their friend. During the time of our text, three days had gone by. Mary had three days to consider what life was going to be like without Jesus. And she didn't like it. She, they decide to go early in the morning to the place where he was buried. The, the previous day was at Sabbath, so uh, Jews on the Sabbath cannot do any work. They weren't sure if the body had been properly prepared for burial. So they decide to get up bright and early before the sun comes up, make their way to this place of death, this place of defeat, and do the right thing and to apply more spices to the deceased body of Jesus. That's really where our text begins. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Keep in mind, it's still dark. The sun is barely coming up. She does not recognize it's Jesus. He has tears in her eyes. And again, at that point, she doesn't know. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. This would be equivalent to us Going to the funeral of a person we were, were close friends to or a loved one, and the mortician came over, over to us and saying, Hey, why are you crying? My friend is buried here, right? It's a given. But for those angels, and now for Jesus, who has come back to life, that place, that tomb, since it is an empty tomb, was no longer a place of defeat. That empty tomb became the place of victory, the place of triumph. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Evidently, Jesus had a way of saying her name that only he could say it that way. Uh, I'm sure you have people in your life. They say your name. You know who that is. Uh, When my mother says Scott, there's no other person in the world that says it the way she says it. I know it's her. And, And Jesus said, Mary. And there was no doubt in her mind, even with tears in her eyes and a heavy heart, it instantly changed her. She realized this is not the gardener. This is Jesus. Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive. So what Mary did is she ran over to him, and and she hugged him. This was too good to be true, but it was true, and she didn't want to let go. She wanted this moment to last a very long time. 
And, and Jesus, after a while, and I do picture some time going by, eventually Jesus had to, to tell her, um, Mary, uh, you cannot continue to hold on to me. Uh, let me see it here. It's, do not hold on to me. Keep on holding on to me. For I have not yet ascended the, to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. What had just happened? On that glorious spring morning, some 2,000 years ago, in an unlikely place, a place of death, Jesus has now become the champion. No longer is death reigning undisputed, undefeated. Jesus defeated death. Now, no, no, the Bible makes it very clear that there's a reason for death in this world, and it's because of sin. Uh, the wages of sin is death. And there might be some here, you know, Adam and Eve and bringing sin, I'm not sure I believe that. Uh, but death is that rope that connects us all the way to the past. Uh, the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. However, we see here that, that Jesus conquers death. That, that means that he conquered sin. He also conquered the devil. And, and no longer is death the undisputed champion. Jesus reigns. Jesus has triumphed over death. And it is a triumph like, like none other. Jesus' triumph over death, it changed the lives of his followers. Mary's a good example. But, but all of them, he changed their lives. The resurrection changed everything for them. And it can change you as well. There is a, a French philosopher. His name is Luc Ferre. And he's a well-respected philosopher among philosophers. Uh, he has studied the ancient philosophies, the, the modern philosophies, all world religions. Again, he's very well-respected. He's, he's well-written, well-read. Well and he's not a religious person per se. But Luke Ferry, in his writings, says, when it comes to what Jesus gives to his followers, Jesus and the Christian faith gives more by far to individuals than any other religion or philosophy. For instance, the Greek Stoics. The Greek Stoics, they were philosophers, and, and they knew that life is tough and challenging, and there's pain and suffering and eventually death. So they said, we want to prepare you for this. You must become Stoic. You must become hardened. And then you can handle problems when they happen. The Greek Stoics, though, have no solution for death. Opposite of the Greek Stoics are the Epicureans. And the Epicureans said, uh, basically, when you die, that's it. Therefore, avoid death, avoid pain, avoid suffering of all sorts. Instead, enjoy life. Eat and drink and be merry. Enjoy it while you can. But again, there's no comfort there for, for, for when you die. The Muslim thought is that God is impersonal. If there's pain or suffering, it, it's all as fate for that person. Let others deal with their own pain and loss and death 
it's not directed towards you, so don't worry about it. But there's no compassion there. Uh, seeing God as an impersonal God. In faith, that's just the way it is. The Hindu thought is that pain and suffering are necessary for things that are alive. They have to go through that so they can be reincarnated and recycled back as something else. Um, and again, who you are now doesn't matter. If a person is suffering or has experienced a loss of a, loss of a dead one, uh, that's just the way it is. Buddhist thought is that feelings and desire are the problem. Yes, there's pain and suffering, and, and the reason it affects you is that you're feeling it too much. So you have to deaden, you have to kill desire and feeling. And that's their philosophy for those in the world. The Christian faith, the Christian faith offers a lot more than that. Um, for one thing, the Christian faith offers hope in the midst of suffering. I think we'd all agree Jesus suffered a little bit more than we have. And I realize that many of you have pain, chronic pain, problems you've, you've endured for a long time. Jesus' suffering was greater. But you know what? Jesus' suffering and pain came to an end. And if God can work out the salvation of all mankind through the suffering and death of his son, surely he will keep his promise to you that in all things he works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And even if you're a lifelong pain sufferer, there is a day your pain will come to a complete end. And for the rest of eternity, you will be pain-free. Again, the Christian faith offers, uh, offers us hope in the midst of suffering. Jesus' triumph also gives us comfort in the midst of mourning. When a loved one dies, we mourn, we grieve. And that's all part of it. However, the Bible says that we do not mourn or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We have every hope. That we, we grieve bathed in the hope that that person we will see again. It is, it is not the end. Jesus' resurrection guarantees, the very fact that he rose from the dead, it guarantees our own resurrection one day. Jesus is simply the first person to be resurrected. Jesus restored life in his ministry, but those people still had to live out their lives and die. Jesus, the first one to be resurrected, brought back to life, he will never die again. Death has no mastery over him. And Jesus says, trust me, you're next. I've been res resurrected first. Your resurrection will happen. You're going to be resurrected one day. And, and not only that, but you're going to get your bodies back. And, and not just the body you have now. It's one-to-one -one correspondence. But your body now will be perfected. You're going to get the body you always wished for. That's the, the Christian promise to you. The Christian promise also is that we will get our lives back. And more than that, we're going we're gonna to get the lives we always hope, always hope for now, but always been disappointed because of sin or problems. Jesus promises more. He promises us life and life to the fullest. Jesus' triumph also offers us the ultimate future. The future in Christ is, is one of resurrection. It's one of restoration. Your personality is not going to be killed. Your personality will be beautified perfected, brought into glory on heaven's side of things. 
You know, again, what, what Jesus offers is amazing. It truly is a triumph like, like none other. Now, do you think Mary ever visited that place of death, that, that tomb area, uh, after that event? I'm sure she did. Do you think she saw the, the area of the tomb as a place of defeat anymore? Not at all. And the whole thing changed. Just like the cross, we have crosses in Christianity. Um, technically, the cross was a symbol of Roman dominance and the death penalty. Yet today, as Christians, we wear it around our neck, and it's no longer like an electric chair around our neck. It is a sign of hope and salvation that Jesus earned for us on the cross. Same with tombs and empty tombs. Uh, as you look at graveyards, as you go to the burial place of loved ones, we're saddened because, again, the remains are there. But the Christian hope is one day that loved one will have a resurrection day, day just like Jesus Christ. And no longer do we have to fear that. There is every reason for anticipation and hope for everlasting life. Now, there still could be some skeptics here this morning. Skeptical, eh, not sure. You know, I, I get the Christian message and, and Jesus rose from the dead, but how can I be sure of this? If you're a skeptic, raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. Um, if you're a skeptic, please know that, that God loves you. He does. Uh, Jesus loved the skeptics in his day. He loved doubting Thomas. And, and know that Jesus loves you. But also know the very fact that you are skeptical doesn't mean that what Jesus is, is preaching is not true. What if a year ago, what if a year ago I had told you that this year, this year the Chicago Cubs, who have been under a curse for 108 years, are finally going to win the World Series again? Do you think any of you would have believed me a year ago? Probably not. My guess is that all of us here are skeptics, that we would have been skeptical of that news. But it happened, didn't it? The, the Cubs are World Series champions. Uh, what Jesus did, bringing victory over sin and death and the devil, is far greater than the Cubs winning the World Series. And if you're a skeptic, I'm just telling you that that what Jesus says is true. And it's a victory like none other. And it's a victory that changes our lives as well. Trust and believe it. Amen. May the true peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ.